This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning. It's 64 degrees at 904. Forecast for today, we got a lot of clouds clouds around. 30% chance of mainly afternoon showers and thunderstorms. Maybe some earlier showers kicking in as well, and a high only in the mid-70s. All of the southern tier in central New York are added into the watch area on a New York State Department of Environmental Conservation drought condition map. Governor Kathy Hochul yesterday directed the DEC to issue an updated drought watch to now include most New York counties, except those in the Adirondacks, Eastern Great Lakes, and New York metropolitan regions. A drought watch is the first of four levels of state drought advisories that go from watch to warning, emergency, and finally disaster. No mandatory restrictions are carried by a drought watch. The drought watch is triggered by the state through... The drought index, that reflects the levels of precipitation as well as the levels of the reservoirs and lakes and the flow of streams and groundwater. The National Weather Service outlook for the rest of the summer is predicting more above-normal temperatures and below-normal precipitation. In addition to conserving water and the expansion of the drought watch area, New York is still encouraging people enjoying the outdoors to take steps to reduce the risk of wildfires. The majority of the state is currently at a high risk for fire. A Shenango County man is facing numerous charges after leaving authorities on a three-county chase, dumping his motorcycle in a yard in Whitney Point and taking off on foot, attempting to elude law enforcement officers. According to Shenango County Sheriff Ernest Cutting, the pursuit began Monday afternoon in Smithville. Deputies chased 27-year-old Austin DeMuth of the town of Guilford through Shenango, Cortland, and Broome counties before he jumped off the motorcycle on Route 79 and ran off. Shenango County Sheriff's officials say DeMuth was quickly apprehended and transported to Wilson Memorial Hospital for treatment of minor injuries. Authorities say DeMuth is charged with unlawful fleeing police, obstruction of governmental administration, resisting arrest, and a whole list of traffic violations. Sheriff's investigators say they also found DeMuth was wanted on a warrant out of the town of Norwich for criminal possession of stolen property and unauthorized use of a motor vehicle. The 27-year-old had recently been released on his own recognizance for the earlier felony counts. Not this time. DeMuth has been sent to the Shenango County Jail without bail. Broome County District Attorney Michael Korchak says it will be up to Judge Joseph Cauley to decide if Jason Johnson's sentences for two counts of attempted murder of a police officer, attempted murder, and criminal use of a firearm will be served all at once or consecutively. Sentencing is set for November. Now, in the jury trial that convicted Johnson of the attempted murder of Trooper Becky Seeger last year, Another attempted murder charge concerning a third officer at the scene was they found Johnson not guilty. Meanwhile, the jury that convicted the Nineveh man has found his father, David, not guilty of tampering with evidence. The dual trial took about two weeks. WMBF News Time 907. A long planned one stop veterans services center is now expected to be located at the site of a once popular Broome County bowling alley. County Executive Jason Garner says the facility is to be developed on Binghamton's north side on property that had been owned by the Salvation Army. 
The one-and-a-half-acre former state bowling center on State Street was intended to serve as a new location for the Salvation Army's operations, now based on Washington Street. The organization ultimately decided the project was too expensive. The county legislature has approved acquiring the property for $180,000 for the proposed Veterans Center. In 2019, Garner had announced plans to establish the Veterans Facility at the Old Vestal Hills Country Club in the town of Binghamton. That location eventually was deemed too expensive as cost estimates continue to go up. Garner says he expects the county will seek bids for the project at the new site this winter and anticipates construction will happen in the early part of next year. WMBF News Time 908. Amazon workers in the Capital District of New York have filed a petition for a union election, launching a major labor fight against the company. A spokesperson for the National Labor Relations Board says the petition was filed yesterday for a warehouse in the town of Shodak near Albany. To qualify, the NLRB requires signatures from 30% of the eligible voters, and the agency now has to verify if the workers are qualified to seek an election. Amazon recently opened a distribution center in Broome County and is in the process of developing another facility in Bath. Annette Funicello, a Utica native, by the way, and Frankie Avalon won't be there, of course, for a beach blanket bingo, but Broome County is planning an end-of-summer beach blast nonetheless. Broome County Executive Jason Garner and the Broome County Parks Department have announced a family-friendly beach party at Nathaniel Cole Park. It will happen on Saturday, August 27th, beginning at 2 p.m. with a variety of events, including music, musicians, as well as fireworks, a fire pit, and some food, actually, obviously, at the event. The Beach Bash event had previously been planned for the summer of 2021, but due to the pandemic, the Parks Department had to cancel. WMBF News Time 910. You want- the WMBF Twin Tiers forecast mostly cloudy today. A 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms possibly popping up through the day, a high in the mid-70s. Tonight, mostly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms, a low in the upper 50s. Tomorrow, partly sunny, a 30% chance of mainly afternoon showers and thunderstorms, a high in the upper 70s. Friday, starts off with some patchy fog in the morning, otherwise sunny, high in the mid-80s. Saturday, mostly sunny, a 30% chance of afternoon showers, and a high in the upper 80s to around 90 On Sunday, partly sunny, a 40% chance of mainly afternoon showers and thunderstorms and a high in the mid-80s. Currently 64 in Binghamton. It's 9-12 where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WMBF, WMBF WMBF.com and 92.1 FM. We must be very clear-eyed about the threat we face and about what is required to defeat it. I have said since January 6th that I will do whatever it takes to ensure Donald Trump is never again anywhere near the Oval Office, and I mean it. Ready, willing, and able as the WNBF Live Local Talk program gets underway on Wednesday morning, August 17th. This is Bob Joseph, your facilitator. If you wish to have a conversation, 
I am ready. 607-772-1290. The email address is bob at wnbf.com. Liz Cheney lost the primary and vows to keep moving forward in the effort to keep former occupants from returning to the White House. Paul Kane and Hannah Knowles report in the Washington Post. Congresswoman Liz Cheney, the once high-ranking Republican who defied her party to wage a lonely crusade against former President Donald Trump, lost her primary by a wide margin. While vowing, she would do everything in her power to keep Trump from returning to the White House. Harriet Hageman, a lawyer with Trump's endorsement, ousted Cheney, clinching the GOP nomination for Deep Red Wyoming's only House seat. Cheney fell in defeat despite her appeals to Democrats and independents to re-register as Republicans and vote for her. You can do that in Wyoming. You can't do that in New York. The race marked the last primary challenge to a small group of House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump last year and are mostly set to leave Congress after withering Backlash. Backlash. With most of the vote tallied, Hageman had 66%, Cheney's 29%, according to the Associated Press, which projected Hageman's win. And she headed into the day as the clear favorite, and close observers had anticipated her victory for weeks. So we congratulate Harriet Hageman for her uh, victory in Wyoming. Congratulations to her. And uh, she now is going to work, she says, to take America back. Take America back. To <laughs> Where are we going? Uh, take America back. Well, we'll see. The voters will determine if America actually is going to be taken back. Wyoming has spoken and we have made it clear that we are taking our country back. So buckle up. Meanwhile, Liz Cheney hardly seems rattled by the results. If any, anything, it appeared to many that she was energized by the outcome of the primary. To believe Donald Trump's election lies, you must believe that dozens of federal and state courts who ruled against him, including many judges he appointed, were all corrupted and biased. That all manner of crazy conspiracy theories stole our election from us. And that Donald Trump actually remains president today. However, Harriet Hageman points out Wyoming is not going to be dictated to by the elites. Harriet Hageman made it clear, skip all that elite-style talk. That's not what the state of Wyoming wants. The state of Wyoming wants to take America back. Wyoming has put the elites on notice. We are no longer going to tolerate representatives who don't represent us. 
Meanwhile, Congresswoman Cheney still wants Americans to reject the claims of Donald Trump and his followers that the 2020 election was rigged. This is a fight for all of us together. I'm a conservative Republican. I believe deeply in the principles and the ideals on which my party was founded. I love its history, and I love what our party has stood for. But I love my country more. Harriet Hageman, who also loves her country, credited the former president with helping her win the primary. I did not do this on my own. Obviously, we're all very grateful to President Trump. And, of course, President Trump is very pleased with the outcome, as he should be. So we congratulate the former president and also Harriet Hageman for that uh, dramatic, as they say, not even close. Harriet Hageman received many more votes than Liz Cheney in Wyoming. Also in the news, Sarah Palin advancing to the November general election for the single house seat in Alaska. Former governor clinched one of four spots in the November ranked choice general election for Alaska's at-large congressional seat. According to NBC News, this is a story from NBCNews.com. The story says she'll be joined on the fall ballot by Republican Nick Begich, the namesake grandson of a former Democratic representative who held the seat. Also, Democrat Mary Sattler Peltola, a former state lawmaker, and Republican Tara Sweeney, a former assistant secretary for Native American Affairs in the Interior Department. In the Senate all-party primary, Senator Lisa Murkowski and Kelly Shibaka, Republican rivals locked in one of former President Trump's grudge matches will advance to the general election alongside Democrat Patricia Chesbro, according to NBC News projections. Still too early to call the fourth finisher in that contest. Anyway, that's a bit of what happened for those who were interested in primaries on Tuesday. Turning from... National politics to local stories from WNBF News. There's a, finally a big break in that West Corners shooting investigation. State police still refuse to talk about it as far as what precisely was going on on the evening of July 25th on Carl Street when a 40-year-old man was shot in the chest. Um, inexplicably, the state police of decided not to answer questions about the case. However, they have now revealed that three suspects have been charged with attempted murder. And um, interestingly, they were all arrested within the last couple of weeks. So they, the last suspect was arrested... Let's see, August 11th. So that was last Thursday. And then it was Tuesday evening when the state police actually made the announcement that three people have been charged with attempted murder and state police continuing to withhold information about what transpired on Carl Street and West Corners. They did say that uh, the three men who've been arrested all have been charged with second-degree attempted murder. 
Um, one was arrested July 27th, another on the 29th, and the third last Thursday. The state police said they were arraigned at Broome County Jail in the town of Dickinson, but they won't tell us where they are. So again, state police following their policy of not releasing information into what happens in our neighborhood. So the mystery, the mystery persists. People who were on Carl Street at the time, which was approximately 7.40 p.m. on July 25th, um, people who were in the area said they heard several shots. Uh, State police have not said whether the person who was shot was on the street or inside a building. The shooting that happened July 25th occurred near the scene of a September 2016 Carl Street shooting involving several people. But again, if you want answers about this case, you're not going to get them from the state police. Go to social media. Might be your best bet. It's 922. This is News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Your new co- Providing you with the best solutions of your lifetime. The KSO Insurance Weekly Spotlight with Karen Sweet O'Neill on News Radio 1290 WNBF. Live at 925, Karen Sweet O'Neill. Good morning. Good morning, Bob Joseph. How are you? I am well. How are things? Things are good. All right. Well, that's what I wanted to hear. Now it's time for Radio Enlightenment. Please enlighten us. I shall. I shall. So this is Life Insurance Awareness Month. And don't ask me who comes up with all these titles for the month, but that's part of uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about life insurance and all the different types that people own or want to own and how you go about changing or pursuing that endeavor. So, you know, when you're raising a family and your family is completely dependent on you, you have young children, perhaps a spouse, and they're completely dependent on you, Bob, you know, financially, then most people purchase or look to purchase life insurance. And typically, they're going to purchase what we call term insurance. And that's a contract with the insurance company and the person saying, you know, we will provide you this face amount of insurance and let's call it a half a million dollars, okay? And we'll do that for the next 10, 15, or 20 years with no premium increase. That is the guarantee that the insurance company gives the insured that purchases the life insurance, okay? And that takes usually the kids through through college, you know, if you purchase it when they're four or five years old and so on. So, But then what happens, Bob, is when you come out of that, let's call it a 20-year guarantee that they purchase, very, very popular. You come out of that 20-year period, and now it's the 21st year coming forward. And the premium increase, you know, absolutely astonishes people because the guarantees are gone, and so you're going to see an escalation of, you know, not just hundreds, but sometimes thousands of dollars. So people 
typically, you know, say, oh, my goodness, I can't afford this. What can I do? I still need insurance. And so what we, you know, what we recommend is that people, before they get to that 21st year, if they can, you know, to inquire about, number one, is their term policy uh, a conversion policy? So you can convert it to a permanent plan of insurance that will last you the rest of your life with no medical to qualify. So it's signed here, whatever rating you had when you purchased the uh, original insurance, Bob. And most people were younger, so they get really good ratings, you know, probably a preferred best rating, and that carries on to the conversion product. Okay, so that's very advantageous. However, it is at your attained age. So it's going to be obviously more expensive than it was when you originally purchased it, but that's one way to go about it. Now, if you're medically um, qualified and you can certainly purchase more insurance, then we certainly recommend you shop it, and we shop it for them based on, you know, their age, their health status, and how much face amount they want. So going forward, they can still have good life insurance, but it may, you know, obviously be more affordable for them. Most people will not take that uh, term insurance to the non-guaranteed years. Also, for people that are um, older, you know, 50 years or older, and they don't have any life insurance, but they want life insurance for their final expenses, but, Bob, they're not healthy enough to get it for whatever reason, they can purchase what we call a guaranteed issue product. So we go over that with them. And basically, there's no medical questions for that either. You sign here. There's a limited amount of coverage, normally around 25000 but it's final expenses. And then you have the insurance for the rest of your life. And the insurance company has to give you a guarantee that they will not increase your premiums. So there's all sorts of ways to cover yourself as you go forward in life and your situation changes. However, it's really difficult to do, Bob, unless you have somebody kind of holding your hand and saying, okay, here's what, here's what your options are. Because way back, okay, Metropolitan had a big house here, Prudential had a big house with lots of agents and so on and so forth. But that's not the case anymore. So we take all those policies and we have the companies so we can just find out what their options are with the company and then move forward and help them to, you know, obtain or secure life insurance coverage because, let's face it, everybody, for the most part, at some point in their life will you know, definitely benefit from life insurance and will require it to help their family or their spouse or protect their pension. Good information. Now, if people wish to contact you, what are the best ways? There's several ways. We are up on the parkway, as you know, Bob, 1708 Bestel Parkway East, above Plato's Closet and Style Encore, and you drive right up to us. We're one level. They can give us a call for an appointment at 607-772-4898 or Google us at KSO Insurance. All our contact information comes up or simply go to a phone book and we have a big display ad under insurance in the yellow pages. Karen Sweet O'Neill, always a pleasure. Hope you have a great day and we will talk again soon. Sounds good. I hope you do too. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Take care. 931 WNBF, that is all you need to know when it comes to the very best in live local talk. WNBF.
Of course, the frequencies, Kenneth, are 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and of course, even better, the WNBF app, so you can stay in touch with us wherever you go. Make sure you have the WNBF app on your phone or other appropriate device. More calls coming up, 607-772-1290. Don't touch that dial. Bob Joseph, WNBF. For 50... Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety. Call WNBF. Brenda from Shenango Forks. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing good. You're talking about the state police with that shooting there. I, I don't know what's going on there, why they're not revealing any information. Maybe it's because they just don't want the public to know. And that's exactly um, right. They don't want the public to know about any high-profile case. You, you, hit that, yeah. you hit that investigative nail right on the head. They don't want you to know a thing about what goes on around here. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, is, maybe they don't have to. No, clearly they don't have to. Nobody can force the police to divulge anything. If they want to be the secret police, they can be, and that's what they are. I mean, you notice if, uh, I'll just say, another agency had caught that case. You know what I mean. Okay, the Broome County Sheriff's Office. If the Sheriff's Office handled the investigation, a lot of detail would have been provided. But in this case, because the state police caught the case in the town of Union, because they got there first, it's a secret. And you're not allowed to know what happened on that fateful night at 740 on Carl Street as innocent children played nearby. About the sheriffs, they're campaigning. Uh, I see a lot of signs are out right now. Love uh, uh, Kate Newcomb. She's beautiful, smart. She's really educated. I hope everybody here that's listening to this votes for her. Uh, I highly recommend her. Um, she's great at what she does. Um, Bob, are you there? Dad, yes, I am. Go? No, yeah, no, we okay. we lost uh, we we lost the um, audio portion of the program for a few seconds, but we heard most of what you said. But yeah. it's true, as I said, getting back to the original point, uh, some agencies believe in providing information and transparency, and other agencies treat their high-profile cases as some sort of secret because they don't think the people at home who actually pay, let's face it, whether they believe it or not, they work for you, Brenda. You pay, you pay taxes t- to support the New York State Police, and so... Effectively, you're you're uh, providing the the financing for people who won't tell you what the heck's going on. Well, do we want to know what's going on? Yes, 
Why why wouldn't you? Why do you want to live in 2022 not knowing why a person was shot in the chest at 740 on a Monday night in a beautiful neighborhood of West Corners? Why wouldn't we want to know the details? I I, I understand. Well, maybe they're still doing some more investigation work on that, too. Oh, that's what they'll tell us. That's That's the excuse. But you know what? Other agencies conduct investigations and still manage to release a fair amount of information without jeopardizing a successful prosecution of the case. Yeah. So, you know, there are two approaches. One is transparency. The other is near secrecy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, talk about the sheriffs. They do a lot for the community. I'm seeing a lot more of it, and, and I respect them highly. Uh, any of our officers, they, they all have their hands full. With the line of oh yeah! I re- by the way, I respect I, I respect all of the rank and file police officers, whether they're working for local agencies, Binghamton, Johnson City, Endicott, Vestal, Port Dickinson, uh, the sheriff's office, the state police, the rank and file men and women are getting it done. I respect them. In fact, many of them, they can't say so publicly, but many of them. Uh, have acknowledged to me privately off the record that they're appalled by the secrecy of of their bosses and they they wish that their bosses would let people know exactly what's going on because withholding information is making it difficult for people to assess the risk to themselves and their families yeah well i have a situation but i'm not going to get into it I had to do something here a while ago, and, and the state police did an investigation, and the investigator went right to that person and read off every word that I had said to them. So now that person's out to harm me, wants to really hurt me bad, and I can't stop it. So that's an example. Yeah, well, um, and sometimes sometimes that'll, that'll happen. It, I, based on what you said, I, I don't believe it should have occurred, but again... Um, sorry that happened to you, but I will say well, I'm, still, I'm still dealing with it today, and and right. you know, so I could do my own investigation fast enough. Sometimes you're better off to just keep your mouth shut and do what you need to do on your own. I well, hate to say it. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's. I think in most cases, people are are uh, best are are well advised to report situations to the state police or the sheriff's office or their local police agency to at least get it on the record and and hope for the best. I mean, let's face it, none of us is perfect, and it it can sometimes happen when, in the course of a, a police investigation, sometimes uh, certain mistakes could happen. But I, I think in virtually all cases, you're doing yourself uh, a favor by getting things on the record and, and making police aware of a situation. Well, sometimes, you know, things don't move fast enough in their investigations, and people well, are getting hurt. Well, you know, the problem with police investigations is, first of all, given the volume of investigations going on, they really yeah. don't have as, as many people as, as would be optimal. So they're being pulled. I mean, I know in Binghamton, they the detective division is not handling just one or two high-profile cases. They're handling lots and lots of cases now simultaneously. I mean, things that are 
we'll say relatively low level. They're still important for the people who were affected, but you don't hear about those cases in the news. So they have an incredible workload, as does the district attorney's office. I mean, the and and that's another thing with these investigations. For example, in West Corners, let's face it: the people involved in the shooting where a man was wounded in the chest i mean that case not only involved the state police investigators the bci but i'm sure people with the da's office so it it takes coordination and it's never as fast as you would like why is all the violence occurring in this area i don't understand why well why are we dealing with such violence anymore? In, in some cases, in some cases it's drugs. Some cases it's mental health issues. Some cases it's poverty. People who don't have the the resources they need to pay their bills, and sometimes it's all of the above. Uh, we we have a lot of challenges around here. I still will assert, and I can't prove statistically, but it's just my belief that the actual amount of crime generally that happens around here in Broome and Tioga counties hasn't changed a lot over the years. I mean, if you look back 10 years ago, 20, 50, even 100 years ago, if you have access to old news stories, you'll see there were a lot of, maybe not a lot, there were horrific crimes that occurred in every year, and sometimes in places you would never think. So I don't... I don't know that it's actually a lot worse than usual, but I can understand why people perceive it to be a lot worse because of the coverage now on the radio, the TV, the Internet. So people are getting more immediate coverage, even if a lot of the details that we used to get from the police are no longer available. That's the weird thing. You know, I look back on stories about things that happened in Binghamton 50 years ago, and that's when we had an afternoon newspaper say if something happened at 9.45 on a Wednesday morning, a lot of the details, including the names of those involved and even the police officers who responded, would wind up on the front page of that afternoon's evening press. But that's not the case anymore. The police, for whatever reason, uh, have decided that releasing information is no longer in their best interest. For their safety, I think, too, because they're human beings. Well, I'm not saying, well, then don't release their names like they used to. Again, it used to be when police made an arrest, all the officers involved had their names released. Now, I'm not suggesting in 2022 that the police or the investigators' names be released, but at least release some of the details surrounding the investigation. That's what used to happen. And you know what? The... DA was able to successfully prosecute those cases. You know, it didn't interfere with the successful prosecution, it did not interfere with justice. It just gave people the information they needed to know what's going on in their neighborhood. So that's that's my take, but I'm sure I'm sure the state police have some other theory, which of course they won't discuss with us. If they had a theory you know, the commander of the state police or the superintendent of the New York State Police would call in and explain why they have these policies of withholding information. But they're not going to do that. 
On the other hand, if they want to, they can call 607-772-1290 to explain their approach to information withholding. Larry from Kirkwood, good morning. Hey, good morning, Bob. Isn't there something called the Freedom of Information Act that we have here? Yeah, yeah, they're free to release information, but they just don't. Yeah, well, I mean, people should be free to get information about this. Yeah, one would think. I mean, who yeah. do the police work for? Themselves? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. You know, it's it's not some sort of private security outfit uh, running mall security. State police are working to protect people of New York. The people of New York, taxpayers, good people like you and me, we pay through our taxes every year to operate the state police. So, you know, why the secrecy? Tell us what's going on, man. <laughs> Well, I called to ask about, uh, to talk about the Murkowski and Cheney uh, primaries. Now, I know that Liz Cheney lost badly, and I fully expected that, thankfully. But uh, Murkowski, I'm a little bit confused about that. Now, the Republican, uh, the conservative candidate, uh, it sounds like there's no clear winner in that one yet in Alaska. Well, Alaska has a strange situation. It sounds like Alaska's um, voting system is designed to be confusing. So it, the the final results apparently in Alaska aren't going to be available for a couple of weeks. But last I knew, Murkowski was, was leading, and it looked like she would yeah. go on to the November general election. But uh, apparently that's not going to be confirmed for another uh, two weeks or so so it's it just i don't even begin to really understand why some yeah. states including alaska have uh, taken what i think ought to be a fairly simple situation of just counting <clears throat> votes and then make it more complicated because it seems yeah. it I, I guess in in theory it might be a better way of doing it but the problem um in reality is i think it causes more chaos and more people to maybe doubt the outcome because it's not available right away and then they use this different ranked system and it just seems that it uh it by adding additional layers of confusion if people are not going to accept the results they'll just say oh well somebody with a, a magic computer uh played games with the results and then you're going to have some sort of trouble in anchorage yeah or where? Well, we gotta, I think we got to get back to getting the votes in and counted on November 3rd, right, on voting day. No, they've never been. By the way, I, I mentioned Anchorage as, as if that, that was the capital of Alaska. Actually, it's Juneau. But, oh, yeah, that's but, right. But you know that. Uh, the, I, did, I didn't notice you said that. Actually. Yeah, well, I, I, as soon as I said Anchorage, I knew I was wrong, but I, I couldn't immediately... Uh, think of uh, Juno as as the capital, which, by the way, has a population of thirty two thousand. So the capital of Alaska has a population that is smaller than beautiful Binghamton, New York. Yeah, yeah Alaska is a beautiful uh, state, but I don't think I'll ever want to visit there. Too dang cold. <laughs> I want to visit there, but I don't want to visit there in the winter. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But it chews your tail off. Yeah, I mean during during the warmer weather months, it's it's nice. Of course, you have to travel almost everywhere by plane because it's such a big yeah. state. But I, it's definitely one of the states I'd like to visit. Yeah, that probably wouldn't work too well for me. Anyway. All right. Have a good day, sir. Okay. Thanks for the call. It's 951 News Radio, WNBF, bringing you all the information we can when it becomes available. 607-772-1290 is the number. The email address is bob at wnbf.com. News Radio, WNBF, 92.1 FM and 1290 AM. Joseph taking calls now at 607-772-1290 if you'd like to talk on WNBF. Mercy me. All things and what they used things to be ain't what they used to be, according to my English teacher. Here's what I found out since I was looking up the capital of the great state of Alaska. The capital city was named for Joe Juno. See, if somebody had just told me and said, oh yeah, it was uh, named for Joe Juno. I think, come on, man, don't pull my legs. But according to the Internet, Joseph Juno was a French-Canadian miner and prospector, and he is best known for co-founding with Richard Harris, the guy who gave us Mac Arthur Park and that cake melting in the rain. Uh, they uh, founded the city of Juno, Alaska. So I guess it could have been named Harris, Alaska, but... Juno just sounds better. Juno it does. The first major gold discovery in Juno on Douglas Island occurred about 1880, and the city has been the capital of Alaska since 1900. So, kids, there's your history lesson for today from News Radio WNBF, WNBF.com. Ron from Binghamton provides uh, a tip coming soon. Coming up in about a month, the long-awaited book by uh, Peter Baker of the New York Times and Susan Glasser of the New Yorker. It's an ambitious and lasting history of the full Trump presidency that contains dozens of exclusive scoops and stories from behind the scenes in the White House, from the absurd to the deadly serious. Wow, this is going to be uh, about a 55,000-page undertaking. Actually, no, it's only 752 pages, scheduled to be published in about a month. It's called The Divider, Trump in the White House, 2017 through 2021. 
the authors of The Man Who Ran Washington argue that Trump was not just lurching from one controversy to another. He was learning to be more like the foreign autocrats he admired. The Divider brings us into the Oval Office for countless scenes, both tense and comical, revealing how close we got to nuclear war with North Korea, which cabinet members had a resignation pact. Whether Trump asked Japan's prime minister to nominate him for a Nobel Prize and much more. (laughs) Would you nominate me for a Nobel Prize in broadcasting? The book also explores the moral choices confronting those around Trump, how they justified working for the former guy they considered unfit for office and where they drew their lines. This uh, blurb says the divider is based on unprecedented access to key players from President Trump himself to cabinet officers, military generals, close advisors, Trump family members, congressional leaders, foreign officials, and others, some of whom have never told their story until now. Well, maybe they'll make it into a movie. The Divider, Trump and the White House, scheduled for publication on September 20th. Stay tuned. More coming up. Bob Joseph, 10 o'clock at WNBF Bingham. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning at 68 degrees at 10.04. Still very comfortable dew point in the mid-50s. Today, clouds and a high in the mid-70s. We still have that about 30% chance of some splash and dash showers and thunderstorms for this afternoon. Three Binghamton men are facing charges in connection with the shooting of a man in the town of Union. According to New York State Police, each man is charged with felony attempted murder in the shooting of a 40-year-old man on Carl Street in West Corners. It happened at a little after 7.30 p.m. on July 25th. Investigators say 40-year-old Keith Harris was arrested July 27th, 38-year-old Alex Shoga on the 29th, and 31-year-old Taven Wilson arrested on August 11th. The state police say the three are suspects in that incident in which a man was shot in the chest. Investigators would not release the name of the victim, but say the man's injuries were non-life-threatening and there was no danger to the public. U.S. Senators Kirsten Gillibrand and Charles Schumer are announcing that Southern Tier and Central New York airports, including the Greater Binghamton Airport, are sharing $5 million in federal funds for improvements. According to the announcement from Senator Gillibrand's office, the Greater Binghamton Airport will receive over $2.2 million to reconstruct airfield guidance signs and reconstruct or replace the airport lighting vault. Also in the southern tier, the Elmira Corning Regional Airport will receive $2.4 million for taxiway and building improvements, while the remainder of the $5 million goes to Syracuse's Hancock International Airport. The news release did not indicate when the planned improvements at the airports would begin or be completed. The deteriorating 100-year-old Strand Theater building in downtown Binghamton is about to get new life. The property on Shenango Street was acquired by Shenango Flats of Brooklyn for $100,000 last September. The developer has also purchased the neighboring Stone Opera House for $900,000. Plans call for the buildings to be converted into 92 apartments with a total of 204 beds. There would also be four commercial tenant spaces. Project manager John Current says the apartment units would be in one, two, and three-bedroom configurations. 
Workers have started gutting the former Strand building to prepare for the first phase of redevelopment. Current says the project's architectural and engineering team will be able to develop a design plan once the building has been cleared out. The project manager says the apartments could be ready for occupancy by the third quarter of next year. After that, attention will turn to redeveloping the neighboring building. A judge is siding with former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo in his fight with the now-defunct State Ethics Commission that ordered him to give up $5 million he was paid to write a book about his leadership during the pandemic. The Joint Commission on Public Ethics, or JCOPE, had at first approved Cuomo's request to write the book titled American Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic in 2020. But the panel withdrew its approval the following year after alleging Cuomo had not kept his promise that he wasn't going to use any state resources to write his book. Cuomo admitted that state employees did help out with some of the work, including editing the manuscript, but he said those employees did the work voluntarily on their own time. Last year, Jacob gave Cuomo 30 days to give back $5.1 million he was paid by the publisher. The Democrats sued, claiming the commission's members were biased against him and violated his due process rights. In Tuesday's ruling, State Judge Denise Hartman declined the commission's request that she enforce its order for Cuomo to turn over the money. Hartman characterized it as an attempt to sidestep administrative procedures since the penalty was imposed without a required administrative hearing. A local police department is marking the passing of its first canine officer after what would have been 98 years of service in dog years. Recently, the Endicott Police Department posted a tribute on its Facebook page to K-9 Tara. She was the first police dog for the department and passed away August 15th after serving in law enforcement for 14 human years. Tara was with the Endicott Police Department from 2008 to 2020, then worked in the Owego Police Department for the last two years. Tara was involved tracking violent suspects, narcotics detection, locating missing persons, and being an ambassador for the police departments in which she served. According to the Endicott Police, Tara was responsible for close to 900 arrests during her time in Endicott and Owego. She was involved in assisting in police matters outside of Endicott and Owego as well. Some of the things that Tara was part of included locating a man with dementia outside in minus two degree weather with wind chill, finding a person wanted in connection with a homicide, and the New York State Police Community Narcotics Enforcement Unit for a narcotics scan. You can see more about Tara and her accomplishments with the Endicott Police on their Facebook posting, and we do have a link to that on our website, WMBF.com. WMBF News Time, 1009. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast, mostly cloudy today, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms, a high in the mid-70s tonight, mostly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms, and a low in the upper 50s. Tomorrow, partly sunny, a 30% chance of mainly afternoon showers and thunderstorms, high in the upper 70s. Friday starts off with patchy fog. Sunshine, a high in the mid-80s. Saturday, mostly sunny, a 30% chance of afternoon showers, a high near 90. And Sunday, partly sunny, a 40% chance of afternoon showers and thunderstorms, high in the mid-80s. Currently, it's 68 in Binghamton. It's 1011, where news breaks first. News Radio, 1290WMBF.com and and 92.1 FM. 
Joseph. If elected, I will not serve. Eh, well, maybe I will. 607-772-1290. If you would like to talk a news radio, WNBF. Real Bob Joseph. Elected. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Another big hour of uh, one of the best radio programs in Binghamton, in my humble opinion. Thank you for joining us. We're here for you every weekday morning from 9 to noon. We bring you the information you need to make responsible choices for yourself and your family. If you don't want to live responsibly, maybe you should listen to another program. Responsible listeners listen to WNBF for the information they need, not just on this program, but also on our news programs. The news updates you hear on WNBF and the news updates you see online at WNBF.com. Now more than ever, local news is important. And the best place to get news in the Binghamton area is on our website, WNBF.com. Stay tuned. It's going to be interesting. It always is. Coming up, we'll be talking with a candidate for Congress. Jamie Cheney is looking for the Democratic nomination in the 19th Congressional Districts. We'll be speaking with Jamie Cheney coming up on our Wednesday program at News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. Ten sixteen WNBF. Bob Joseph with you live and local in Binghamton. We're joined now by Jamie Cheney, who is seeking the Democratic nomination in New York's newly configured nineteenth congressional district. Good morning. Morning, Bob. Great to be here. One quick question, because you're about to introduce yourself to us, um, and this will all become clear to our listeners after. Uh, after you've had a chance to talk about uh, where you grew up. Just a, a quick question. Listen carefully. Do you recognize this song? Does that sound familiar? It does. Yes. Action News. Serving the <laughs> Delaware Valley, of course. There you go. I just... <laughs> Very familiar, Bob. It is the sound of my childhood. <laughs> that is, it's weird. I mean, for those who aren't from Philadelphia or the Delaware Valley, or those not in the news business, the song probably doesn't have a lot of meaning. Although that news open that's been used by Channel Six in Philadelphia, going way, way, way back, I believe about fifty years ago. Um, it also is, is used in some other news operations. For example, uh, down in Scranton at Channel 16. Also, there's a station in Buffalo that uses that opening theme. But um, 
it really is synonymous with Channel 6 Action News, ABC 6 in Philadelphia. And, and see, if, if you had said that you didn't recognize that song, then I would have had to say, then I doubt you grew up in Philadelphia. <laughs> so anyway, thank you. <laughs> Thank yep. you for playing along. I yeah. just I I thought, ah, why not why not have a little bit of fun, a little twist to start our our conversation on this Wednesday morning. All right. Now uh our listeners perhaps have already learned a bit about you. We're now less than a week from the Democratic primary, which will take place next Tuesday. Some early voting, of course, is going on now. Tell our listeners in the Binghamton area a bit of your background. Absolutely. Again, thanks so much for having me this morning, Bob. I am Jamie Teeny. I am a business owner. I, I built a business that advocates for working parents. I run a 70-head cattle farm over here in the Hudson Valley with my husband and our three boys. And then my most important job is I'm a mom to three boys who are 12, 10, and 8. And I am also a Democratic candidate for the new 19th Congressional District that, as your listeners are probably starting to learn rather quickly, runs all the way from the Massachusetts border out to Tompkins County in Ithaca. So why are you interested in politics? You know, I, I think like many, I, I got very actively involved in 2017. Um, because when when you, having children, my children were obviously a little bit younger then, and we would often sit at the dining table and, and grumble over dinner about our, our country's leadership at that moment. And Children of that age, you know, sort of four, four, six, and eight, whatever they were, are good at looking at you and saying, well, Mommy, what are we doing about it? And on the note of that, I got very actively involved alongside my children, and we would do things we could physically do together um, in the 17, 18, 19 races, you know, banging in lawn signs, knocking on doors, things where my four-year-old could keep a tally in the car. Of, okay, well, we got to 10 doors today. We went out and we did something. And then in the 2020 races, a fellow volunteer said to me one day, I marched in the streets for the rights that you grew up with. And I need you to promise me that no matter what happens in November, you will go out and you will keep on fighting. And Bob, there's so few things in life where you can say, I am in the place where I am now because of that moment. But this is one of them. I made a decision in that moment to challenge representation for my family, for our community, that I didn't feel reflected our shared values. Do you think that the Supreme Court ruling that um, regarding Roe versus Wade, is that going to energize people come November? There's been all sorts of speculation, and some people seem to think that it may energize some voters in the general election in some states, but maybe not so much in New York, where the uh, the rights... At, at the moment, don't seem in jeopardy. Are you expecting that uh, even people in the newly drawn 19th district will actually be more inclined to vote in November than they otherwise would have been? I do, Bob, and I, I don't think I know. Um, we launched an ad in the middle of July across this district that speaks to my own personal story of abortion as health care. For those listeners who haven't seen the ad, you can see it at jamiecheney.com. And Bob, what happened in, I guess now, the four weeks since we've launched that ad is we have received literally thousands of emails from women across this district and notably across party lines saying, some Democratic women saying, you know, really just excited to be supporting you. 
but many from Republican women. Women saying, I've been a Republican my entire life. I never truly believed that this was a right that was in jeopardy. I don't feel that I have a party in this moment. I've never cast a Democratic vote before. But I heard your ad, and I heard you speak to this as a woman, not as a politician. And I'm writing to let you know I'll be supporting you in November. Those are women who are telling us in the email that they might have stayed home. Have you received some negative response for for talking about that aspect of your life? You know, Bob, what's amazing to me is maybe there have been one or two, but no. And and those are outliers, um, and they're lost in the thousands of positive responses. This country and this district are definitively pro-choice. And if I've received a a negative comment, it's been, I'm just, why would you share this story? And I'm very clear. I mean, sometimes I've had a conversation in in those one or two, which is this. As long as there is a perception that this is only something that happens in rare circumstances, only something that happens when someone is behaving irresponsibly or doesn't plan well. When there's a stigma that this only happens on the fringes, it's not going to be treated as a healthcare right. And my story is very much one of a wanted pregnancy in a situation where we were able to support that child. And it was a healthcare decision. And I think it's incredibly important for women who are in a situation where they can do so comfortably and have a platform to do so to share um, these healthcare decisions that we have made to remove the stigma that these are the exceptions to the rule and create the very, very real evidence-based story that these are healthcare decisions. It's 1024. We're speaking with Jamie Cheney, one of the Democratic candidates uh, in the 19th Congressional District. The primary will take place next Tuesday, and early voting is underway. What are uh, some of the other biggest issues facing voters as the primary vote approaches on... August 23rd. So the two other issues that we are consistently hearing about alongside choice uh, as we knock doors across this district are guns and the cost of living. What is the biggest difference between you and your Democratic rival, Josh Riley? Uh, what, why should voters consider voting for you to be the Democratic nominee over Josh Riley on Tuesday? So, you know, I think there are several differences. The biggest difference is I have chosen to spend much of my adult life in this district. My husband and I moved here just under a decade ago to build businesses and raise our family in the area. My Democratic opponent moved back recently to run for Congress. I think that that's difference number one. But difference number two is my ability to win this race in November. This is, we, we all need to acknowledge the hard truth that this is not a Democratic seat. If everyone shows up and everyone votes their party registration, this will go Republican by a small margin. So the candidate who can win is the candidate who has a true path to crossover. I have that in two different ways. One is what I just referred to. Following the Dobbs decision, we have seen women willing to come out and support female candidates who are speaking to this not as a political issue, but as a healthcare experience of a woman. 
and again, we've received thousands of inbounds that literally reflect the crossover that we need. The second place is the work that my family and I have done in our state's agricultural community. I run a cattle farm on a day-to-day basis. I'm also very, very involved in 4-H across the state. My immediate daily community is not partisan Democrats, and these are often people involved in our agricultural community have never cast a Democratic vote in their life. But we have already started to see that part of our coalition emerge. There have been some stories of local farmers actually vocally going to our Republican opponent and saying, I just heard Jamie Cheney's running for Congress. I have seen her roll up her sleeves and do the work physically on the farm and that our farmers need. I know that she's going to deliver for us. Everyone talks about liking local food supply. If we want our local farms to survive, we need policy that truly delivers for them. And we know Jamie will get it done for us. So really, really excited to see those two aspects that represent definitive crossover emerging in our coalition. I do not know that my primary opponent can speak to any points of definitive crossover that he is already seeing in his coalition. What kind of gun legislation would you support if you're elected to the House? So I want to be very, very clear. I have three boys, 12, 10, and 8. I've done school drop-off one day since launching the congressional race. And on the way to school, my youngest asked me, Mommy, if the shooter comes to my classroom today, should I hide in the bathroom or should I try to climb through the window like the little girl in Texas did? Bob, on the way to school, he wasn't thinking about what game he would play at recess with his friends. He was thinking about what he would do when the shooter came to his classroom. We need an assault weapons ban, and we need it now. In addition, I will fight for well-funded, mandated, comprehensive background checks and red flag laws. Like many voters in this district, I am a gun owner. A shotgun is a tool on on a farm. And I've already started to have conversations with, again, generally registered Republicans who've said, I support an assault weapons ban, but I don't trust that they won't come for my shotgun right after that. And then I say, I'm actually a gun owner. And the conversation completely turns. You're a Democratic gun owner. You're someone who uses this gun as a tool every day. You're going to fight to protect our registered, safely kept shotguns as much as you're going to fight to ban assault weapons? Yes, I am. And I can bring that group of voters. What can the federal government do to try to make it more difficult for people who clearly should not possess uh, any type of, of weapon, but, but certainly assault rifles or, or any any gun? I mean, we, we have, uh, sadly, the case where a young man from Conklin, just a few miles from where I'm standing, uh, bought a gun, bought an assault rifle in Endicott. Every time I drive past that store now, I I have uh, very strong feelings. I used to live in that neighborhood three blocks from where the gun store is now located, and it it changes my perception of, of that beautiful neighborhood in the Union District. But what can the federal government or other authorities do to keep guns out of the hands of people who have mental illnesses? So I, we can mandate background checks at all points of purchase, and we can mandate a comprehensive red flag system. But what we need to do above and beyond that, and the federal government can do this, is make sure that the technology that runs those systems is up to date, 
the technology that's currently behind those two systems, frankly, is 20 to 30 years old. It doesn't reflect the gun purchases in the year of 2022. Um, and we need to fund that investment, and then we need to fund the resources to staff it. So that's number one. We also, and I've had this conversation with so many teachers and parents across this district, we need to much more significantly acknowledge the mental health crisis that we are in in this moment. I'm really excited about the Community Schools Initiative that goes further than we've ever gone before. This is a legislation that Senator Gillibrand proposed, um, and one of the pilot programs is actually being run in and around Binghamton, which goes further than just putting social workers in our schools. It puts much more comprehensive mental health and social services presence physically in our schools where families can access them. Um, in addition to both of the above and in addition to my strong support for an assault weapons ban, I would propose legislation that does not allow for the purchase of any firearm under the year of 20, under the age of 21 years. If people want more information about you and about your campaign, how can they obtain that? Absolutely. You can find us at jamieteeny.com, and we are really encouraging people to reach out. We are phone banking. We are knocking doors. We are tech banking. There are so many ways to get involved in this moment, um, and we would love to have you all on our team as we work to keep the new 19th blue and win the general come November 8th. Jamie Cheney, who is facing Josh Riley in the Democratic primary in the 19th Congressional District. Early voting is underway, and the primary itself will be held next Tuesday, August 23rd. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for your time this morning, Bob. It's been great to be with you and all of your listeners. And thanks, thanks for the flashback to my childhood. Yes, yes, with the entire Action News team serving the Delaware Valley. Hope you have a great day. Great to be with you. Thank you. you. It's 1032 News Radio, WNBF. Yes, we, we would love to have a theme song that would last year after year after year. Maybe someday we will. 607-772-1290. Phone lines open again for your thoughts, whether it's about politics or the environment or crime, whatever's on your mind. We invite you to participate. It's live. It's local. Again, 607-772-1290. If you'd like to send an email, the address is bob at wnbf.com. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to News Radio WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. Your new career.
Bob Joseph, WNBF. I am the passenger on the WNBF Thrill Ride. I am the passenger. I stay under glass. I look through my window so bright. And it is uh, Thursday. You know, I keep saying it's Thursday. I don't know what's going on Thursday, but for some reason it must be great because I keep looking forward to it. Seems like every day this week I have mistakenly identified the day as Thursday. It's actually Wednesday. I suppose tomorrow will be Thursday. And of course, tune in to find out what day I claim it to be because, again, we have no teleprompter here at the radio station. But we pass the savings along to you, the home viewer. 607 772 wnbf One of the things I really enjoy about being a reporter around here is um, getting a chance to take a look behind the scenes, behind the curtain, find out what's going on, sometimes figuratively and sometimes literally. And I had that chance to peer inside the historic Strand Theater on Shenango Street in downtown Binghamton. And because... It's my job, it's my mission to share what I find with you at WNBF.com. I've posted uh, a video. Actually, it runs almost two minutes, as well as uh, a whole grouping of pictures about the uh, Strand Theater as it is now in 2022. You know, over the years, over the last 102 years, a lot has happened in that building at 27 Shenango Street. But in recent years, not much has gone on. Some people have had redevelopment ideas that crashed and burned. As uh, I have acknowledged many people, I have plenty of ideas for doing things around the Triple Cities. I just don't have access to the money that would be needed to make it possible. Well, the former Strand Theater on Shenango Street now as a new owner, and the new owner from Brooklyn is preparing to redevelop the property. And so a lot of stuff, yes, that is the technical term, stuff is occurring inside that building. And the only way you're going to see what they're up to is to take a look at WNBF.com, take a look at all uh, the photos and that little video clip as well if you want to see what they're up to. It's very fascinating to me that this structure that played the movies starting in 1920 and apparently had some vaudeville shows uh, as well. Now it's going to have a new life and before you know it people could be living there in downtown Binghamton. And it's great to see that somebody has both an idea and apparently the money to pull this off. Now, I know some people have said, well, gee, I wish it could have been renovated as a theater. And at one point, some local developers, uh, Binghamton family, they had a a plan to actually do that. But first of all, it wasn't going to be the same. It wasn't going to be one large theater as the Strand had been. It was going to be turned into... uh, sort of a multiplex. I don't know how many screens they really were hoping to put in, but anyway, that plan 
fell through. And then somebody else came along with another plan, and that never got anywhere. Well, now it looks like the new owner will be able to develop something. Let me just see. I I still enjoy this uh, little video looking inside here. Now, you, you can't appreciate this, obviously, on the radio, unless you are using WNBF Plus so you could see the video. But I'm looking now at the little two-minute tour that I uh, recorded while I was inside there. And it's just fascinating to me, even though I've now watched the video a few times, but thinking of all the history that happened there inside the Strand Theater over the years, including the restaurant. Remember, they had the Ritz restaurant. And if you look at the video long enough, you'll see where the restaurant used to be. The Ritz Tea Room. I think it was the new incarnation of the Ritz Tea Room. And also, they had the Parlor City Cafe was in there for a while. Before that, for a few years, based on my research, there was a restaurant called Villa Terzi. Anyway, take a look if you're interested in history and see what's going on. I've had a, a lot of work going on there in the last several days, and you can see the video and the uh, pictures from inside the old Strand Theater. And then you can see also the full story at WNBF.com. It's 1044 WNBF. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name and where are you calling from? Is this still a call-in show? Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a call-in show. <laughs> of course, we we take calls. We take every call. <laughs> every call uh, when possible. On the other hand, we also read some emails. So if you like coming up with your thoughts and putting it in email form, you can do that too. Let's see. Oh, huh. Jesse from Owego writes, uh, and you know what? I I was going to ask this. I know, I know the answer, and I, I just never got around to asking uh, Jamie Cheney whether she's related to Liz Cheney. Uh, as far as I know, she's not. But I almost asked that since clearly Liz Cheney's in the news with her uh, loss in Wyoming in that state's primary, the congressional primary, but uh, uh, Jesse from Wego said, is she related to Liz Cheney? Makes me wonder. Uh, I don't believe she is. I don't believe. I don't believe she is. So there. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, my guess is, and it's just an educated guess, I would think, if if she happens to be asked that question, she would probably say, no, I'm not, but I wouldn't mind if I was related. Because, let's face it, Liz Cheney, well, we saw, you know, her performance at the hearings of the January 6th committee. And don't forget, by the way, some people are saying, well, I wish they could hold more hearings. Well, they're just taking a break. We need a break in August. I mean, there are primaries and people are on vacation. But there will be more hearings to come in September. So, as they say, 
Don't let your heart be troubled. More hearings are coming up. 607-772-1290. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF. Ten fifty one, WNBF with the real Bob Joseph on the air till noon. Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety. Carol in Johnson City. Good morning. You're on the air. Oh hi. How are you? Uh, I am getting very nostalgic when you were talking about the Strand. What about the Riviera? They were right next door to each other, and I think the Ritz Tea Room was off to one side. I don't know if it was left or right of the two theaters. But I have to talk about the Ritz Tea Room. The um, When I was working at the Binghamton Sun, uh, and I have to say, could I say a lady's name that I worked with? She's probably married. Mm, nah, don't don't mention the full I'll, name. Well, I'll say Get, her first name. I'll, first say, name. I'll say Betty. Betty, we worked uh, at the Binghamton Sun. She worked in the uh, accounting area, and I worked in the display advertising. And uh, we used to go over on payday. We used to go over to the Ritz Tea Room. For sixty-five cents, you get a meatloaf dinner, a vegetable and mashed potato, <laughs> and the rice pudding was out of this world. It was like half the price of the meal. It was thirty-five cents for for the uh, thing plus your beverage. So you know you could walk out of there, you know, under a dollar seventy-five. Could you whatever? Could you get tea? I uh, never got tea. I always probably got soft drinks, but what I was going to say is, uh, is, does that encompass the Riviera? I mean, I think they were together. They, uh, Comerford, wasn't it Comerford Theaters? I just happened to think of that name. It was. You have a good memory. Did you? Yeah, well, you don't use the you don't use the internet. Well, I the, don't have the internet. I know it's too bad because I I posted a picture that uh, thanks to Gerald Smith, uh, he he went through the archives of the Broome County Historical Society, and it is uh, a great photo that I determined using my personal research was from February 1951, and indeed. The uh, uh, marquee, in the center of the marquee, it says uh, Comerford Theater. And on the left side is the Strand. You can't see the right side in this shot, but that was the Riviera. And guess what movie was was being played in February 1951 at the Strand? 51. Uh, can you give me a hint as to who the actor was? Humphrey actor. Bogart. Casablanca? The Enforcer. Oh, The Enforcer. I'm not familiar with that movie. Killers for Hire, The Enforcer, Humphrey Bogart, and next door at the Riviera, it looks as though the movie was called I'd Climb the Highest Mountain. I can't see the full title because it's, it's clipped off, but I believe it was called I'd climb the highest mountain so those were the the features that were being shown at the strand and riviera in february 1951 well i was just about to turn uh 10 years old in march i would have been 10 years old in march of that year so i was going to the sun theater over on glenwood glenwood avenue but i want to ask you about the ritz tea room does it show the ritz because i think it was either left or right of those two theaters i don't think it was um can you tell from the photo where the Ritz Tea Room was? 
to me. It was it two, Greek, two Greek fellows ran the place. Right. The food there was very good. Well, I think at that time it might have been in the. Wait a second. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. It's. I think it's off to the left. But here's here's the thing. I looked up in in the newspaper. Guess guess when. The Ritz Tea Room and Fountain actually opened on Shenango Street, according to the Binghamton Press. When when did it open? I was going to say, take a guess. Oh oh oh! I didn't hear that part. Gosh, I have no idea. August nineteen thirty-five. They have a big feature page in the newspaper. It says Ritz Tea Room and Fountain will open to public tomorrow, and. And this is part of an advertising feature, but it has a, a photo, Binghamton's newest tea room and fountain, ready to serve the public with the highest quality foods, ice cream, and fountain orders. The place was pretty big in there, too. They had a lot of booths. Yeah, they did. It says, tomorrow we'll witness the formal opening of the Ritz, Binghamton's newest tea room and fountain in the Strand Theater building. The store space, which the new place will occupy, has been closed and undergoing complete alteration, decoration, and refitting for several weeks. And today, it's a modern tea room in every respect. Do they mention that all the Olympia tea room? And then there was an up the street, like further up Shenango. I don't know exactly where. Yeah, and this particular feature, which was sort of the advertising feature about the grand opening, I, I don't see where it mentions, but uh, they had a big ad. said that they would have, um, at our fountain, you'll find a type of service that sets the standard for cleanliness, for purity of ingredients, and for all those little touches which go to make up the brighter side of living. I just thought of something else. My aunt and uncle took me. It was either the Strand or the Riviera. It was around, I don't know, 52, 53, 53. Uh, they had a replay of Gone with the Wind, which, of course, won the Academy Award, I guess, in 1939. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's when I saw Gone with the Wind. It was either the Strand or the Riviera. I remember standing in line. There was a huge line on Chenango Street to see that movie. Well, I wish I was there. I, I, I mean, well. I was there a few days ago, but the place doesn't look the same. <laughs> Trust me. I, I wandered. Sure. I remember back when the radio station was over at the Security Mutual building. I remember actually sometimes grabbing lunch in the restaurant. I think back then, I don't know if it was the Ritz restaurant or Parlor City Cafe, but I do remember having lunch with some colleagues occasionally at the restaurant on Shenango Street. Golly, did we get did we get up to the news yet? Oh, two more minutes, three more minutes. Yeah, yeah, That's we okay. can rem- we can reminisce oh. for two more minutes. Oh, we can. Oh, goody. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I just have to talk about downtown Binghamton. I used to tell people, you know, back in the seventies and eighties when uh, the malls came in and uh, the downtown was, you know, slowing down or empty, you know, storefronts and things like that. I, I just uh, used to tell people, I remember, like in the 60s even, like because uh, I started working at Link in 63, the uh, downtown would be, you think you were on a Thursday night, you would think you were on Fifth Avenue during Christmas time. I'm telling you, Thursday nights were absolutely fantastic downtown. Every, I was going to say every freaking, every storefront was absolutely, you know, 
there, there were no empty stores. It, it was just great. Yeah, it was madness. And, it was madness, the traffic. And, and fortunately. Shoulder, yes, shoulder to shoulder. I mean, you were actually like shoulder to shoulder with people. And, and it was like, even at, at Christmas time, it was more unbelievable. It really was when it was shoulder to shoulder was at Christmas time. Yeah, those were the days. But I, I think they're starting to come back. I mean, it's not going to be exactly the same, just like the mall won't be exactly the same. But what we're seeing now, I think, is the ongoing revitalization of downtown Binghamton plus the reinvention of the Oakdale Mall. They'll turn it into the Oakdale Commons. And the second chapter for the mall may be as exciting, maybe it'll be more exciting than the first chapter. You know, I've been trying to get my daughter to uh, try to talk her into getting the WNBF uh, app. And she goes, I've got so many apps now, but uh, what do you actually have to do? I just well, You just go to well, the app store. You see the theaters, the pictures that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. The theaters, right? All she has to do is go to the app store and type in WNBF, and it'll download probably in a few seconds, and then she can see for herself. I have to coax her. I'm dying to see those pictures. Yeah, it's free. Thank you, Carol, for the memories. More to come in just a moment. This is the Wednesday edition. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF Bingham. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. The National Weather Service is giving us some clouds around today, but a lot like yesterday, some hit or miss showers and thunderstorms possible. That's at 30% right now and a high today, comfortable into the mid-70s. Three Binghamton men are facing charges in connection with the shooting of a man in a town of Union neighborhood. According to New York State Police, each man is charged with felony attempted murder in the shooting of a 40-year-old man on Carl Street in West Corners at around 7.40 p.m. on July 25th. Investigators say 40-year-old Keith Harris was arrested on July 27th. 38-year-old Alex Shogo was arrested on the 29th. And 31-year-old Taven Wilson was arrested August 11th. The state police say the three are suspects in the incident in which the man was shot in the chest. Investigators did not release the name of the victim but said the man's injuries were non-life-threatening and there was no danger to the public. A Shenango County man is facing a number of charges after leading authorities on a three-county chase, dumping his motorcycle in a yard in Whitney Point, then taking off on foot trying to elude law enforcement. Shenango County Sheriff's officials say the pursuit began Monday in Smithville. Deputies chased 27-year-old Austin DeMuth of the town of Guilford through Shenango, Cortland, and Broome counties before he jumped off the motorcycle on Route 79 and ran into a wooded area. He suffered some minor injuries and was treated at Wilson Hospital. Authorities say DeMuth is charged with unlawful fleeing police, obstruction of governmental administration, resisting arrest, and a bunch of traffic violations. Investigators say they also found he had been wanted on a warrant out of the town of Shenango Court for criminal possession of stolen property and unauthorized use of a motor vehicle. The 27-year-old had been recently released on his own recognizance for the early felony charges. DeMuth was sent to the Shenango County Jail, this time without bail. Broome County District Attorney says it will be up to the judge to decide if Jason Johnson's sentences for two counts of attempted murder of a police officer, attempted murder, and criminal use of a firearm will be served all at once or 
consecutively. Sentencing is set for November. The Broome County jury this week convicted Jason Johnson of those counts, but found him not guilty of another attempted murder charge concerning a third police officer at the scene. Meanwhile, the jury that convicted the 35-year-old Nineveh man in the wounding of Trooper Becky Seeger last year found his father David not guilty of tampering with evidence. All of the southern tier in central New York are added into the watch area on a New York State Department of Environmental Conservation drought condition map. Governor Kathy Hochul yesterday directed the DEC to issue an updated drought watch to now include most of New York counties except those in the Adirondacks, eastern Great Lakes, and New York metropolitan regions. A drought watch is the first of four levels of state drought advisories that go from watch, warning, emergency, and finally disaster. No mandatory restrictions are carried by a drought watch. The drought watch is triggered by the state drought index. That reflects the levels of precipitation as well as the levels of the reservoirs and lakes and the flow of streams and groundwater. The National Weather Service outlook for the rest of the summer is predicting more above normal temperatures and below normal precipitation. In addition to conserving water and the expansion of the drought watch area, New York is still encouraging people enjoying the outdoors to take steps to reduce the risk of wildfires. The majority of the state is currently at a high risk. Amazon workers in the Capital District of New York have filed a petition for a union election, launching a major labor fight against that company. A spokesperson for the National Labor Relations Board says the petition was filed yesterday for a warehouse in the town of Shodak near Albany. To qualify for a union election, the NLRB requires signatures from 30 percent of eligible voters. The agency now has to verify if the workers are qualified to seek an election. The Amazon Labor Union is backing the organization effort. Amazon recently opened a distribution center in Broome County and is in the process of developing another facility in Bath in Steuben County. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast, mostly cloudy, maybe a few peaks of sunshine today, a 30% chance of showers and possibly afternoon thunderstorms, a high today getting into the mid-70s. Mostly cloudy for tonight, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms, a low in the mid-50s. Tomorrow, partly sunny, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon, and a high near 80. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Joseph, live and local, no script, no agenda, 607-772-1290. If you would like to call and talk about the issues of importance to Americans. All right, let's start the hour off with a call. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hi, Bob. I'm a first caller. Who is this, Timmy? <laughs> no, it's Ronnie. Ron- oh, hi, Ronnie from uh, Binghamton. Good morning. Yes, good morning to you. Say, uh, Bob, uh, I wanted to report uh, last evening I spoke to the Binghamton School Board at their monthly meeting, and I addressed them about the risk of allowing contact sports, notably football, 
and uh, the arising brain damage, uh, CTE, uh, which results from repetitive blows to the head. Uh, I made three points at the meeting, and uh, they are, uh, one, the district must become proactive in protecting students from the life-altering consequences of CTE. That's directly associated with football. And two, to protect the school district from the civil liabilities that are sure to arise in the future uh, by having students continue with the dangerous game and the risk to their brain health and to their futures. I also emphasized uh, in the short amount of time I had to speak, which is only three minutes, that helmets, contrary to popular opinion, helmets do not protect the brain from CTE. Uh, helmets, anything you put on outside the skull can't protect what happens inside the skull. The jarring effects of collisions, including without concussions. You don't have to have a concussion in order to have negative brain effects. And uh, that brain that bounces around inside the skull you know, produces a protein uh, which just uh, takes uh, effect on the neurons and synapses and um, uh, wreaks havoc in the brain. So I brought this up at the Binghamton School Board. Uh, that's the first school board I visited with this message. But the message is a message that should be understood by all school districts, particularly I'm talking about in our area. Uh, school districts that are going to find in our litigious society that they're going to be fielding civil suits based upon what happens to kids from playing football. So, did they commend you for your uh, thoughtfulness? Well, no, I, I didn't expect that. And, you know, I had my chance at the meeting. I happened to be the only public speaker at the meeting yesterday. So, I got up there first and, um, you know, spoke to the board. They listened carefully, attentively, uh, and uh, went on with their meeting. I left them with information. Um, bountiful information on CTE, I, I really, I, I, you know, I'm going to guess that most school boards who do great work uh, probably are not greatly aware of the dangers of uh, contact sports and what it is doing to so many people. Bob, the, the uh, statistics are growing. Uh, the, the individual cases of people whose lives have been ruined by brain damage from football is growing. Uh, I know we're in love with the sport. Uh, it's a religion, football. It's a, it's a great sport except for the subconcussive blows, which are par part of the game. If you play basketball, if you play baseball, uh, any any hit to the head is incidental. I mean, anything can happen even walking down the street. But sports like tennis and basketball and baseball, 
uh, they do they do not inherently endanger the brains of the people playing. Once the brain is damaged with CTE, there is no fix. If uh, if you break your leg, uh, you break your arm, there is healing you can mend, but the brain is essentially your personhood, and when you damage that, uh, you've taken a person's life away. This, this we're on the cusp of this uh, coming forth. It's going to affect schools. It's going to affect school districts, and uh, I mean in terms of civil liability. I think uh, school districts would be wise to get ahead of this, to delve deeply into what's happening with the brain damage from football, and uh, to deal with it. And uh, I don't think uh, that's far enough along right now. Well, I'll be interested to see what policy changes the Binghamton City School District makes going forward. Was the school superintendent present for the meeting? Uh, I'm not certain. I think all board members were present. I, I don't know. I, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't able to see from my vantage point the names on the um, table, so I don't. I don't know if the superintendent was there. Well, thanks for the report. I'm glad that you uh, expressed your concerns as you have on this program, and perhaps, perhaps. Um, You'll make a big difference in the lives of young people in Binghamton and beyond. That's, I think, what the ultimate mission is. The goal is to yeah. protect our young people against permanent injury. Yes, a permanent injury to the brain. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ron. And uh, let's see if other listeners have thoughts about that issue. It's a serious issue. We have addressed the issue on the program several times. Thanks to Ron bringing it up. It's not through any specific independent effort on my part, but thanks to Ron, who has um, a very specific interest in trying to prevent those serious injuries to our young people. It's 1117. We're live and local. More calls are very likely between now and noon. And who knows, it's also probable i'll read at least one viewer email if you send it to bob at wnbf.com phone number to talk on the program is 607-772-1290 you're listening to bob joseph on news radio wnbf Bob Joseph, 1119 on a Wednesday morning. We never record the program ahead of time. This program is broadcast live Monday through Friday. You can call in to prove it to yourself at 
Let's go back to the phones now to Conklin. Laura, good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. Hey, what's up? Uh, I'm just wondering, I don't hear anything more in the news about this accident on the Vesta Parkway where this younger gentleman was going the wrong way and killed two innocent uh, grandparents who were coming from their jobs from the Walmart. And I, I understand that maybe he may be politically uh, motivated or politically connected to some places, people, and... I wonder, what do we hear about what's going on with charges against him? Well, the last time I checked, no charges had been filed. The investigation is continuing, and I believe that you soon are going to hear more about the investigation. Because of the uh, nature of, of the crash and the allegations involved, um, it's it's complicated. A lot of people are working on different parts of the investigation. And I know, because I've talked with several people, I know people would like to hear a lot more specific information. This particular case, though, uh, is, is moving forward, okay? And uh, as far as what charges might be filed, I don't know. I can speculate but i'm not going to speculate in a case like this i think a lot of people unfortunately have heard the basic story of what happened last week on on the parkway with that terrible crash and um you know with sadly the loss of uh, the two johnson city residents as you know and um and the driver of the other car, who police said was going the wrong way, he ultimately was taken to Wilson, and his injuries were, were not very serious. But as far as what charges eventually might be filed, we don't know yet. They're still... Yeah, well, I heard, uh, certainly hope that some charges are filed. Uh, well, people were killed, and, and he's from this area, so he would know what was go- what way to go on the Vesta Parkway. Right. Well, I don't... I don't know the circumstances. I mean, the police have released a little bit of information, but they haven't provided a lot of detailed information about the crash. I mean, many of us saw, unfortunately, the the pictures of the scene after the vehicles collided. But as far as why the one car was going the wrong direction and slammed into the other vehicle with the husband and wife, why that happened, uh, we don't know at this point. The police haven't said, and I... I would anticipate we'll hear something fairly soon. Well, I would certainly hope so. Them, that, that poor couple had custody of grandchildren, and and it's a terrible situation. They're left homeless with no real relatives in town to take care of them. And you I know? also, I also would add that I've been told that uh, the man who died in the crash was. Uh, a listener to the program and frequently called into this program. That is true. That is true. So we're hoping, uh, uh, you know, we we get some charges. I heard he was politically uh, connected with some people, so hopefully that does not deter charges being brought. Well, I don't think it will. I, I certainly hope Yeah, so. I mean, because of the magnitude of of what happened there, the fact that two people are dead, but again, as we've touched on in the past, and I, I know sometimes it, it may come across when I'm discussing investigations that I think 
every bit of information should be released immediately. And, exactly. And, but, but the truth is, they can't do that. And I, I right. do respect right. that investigations do take some time, and they do have to be conducted in a way that, I mean, the bottom line, say, if, if it's determined that a crime was committed, that there, there were uh, serious violations, uh, nobody around here wants the police to release information early and then make it impossible for justice to be served for a successful right. prosecution. Right. So I think, yes, we're all... We're all, uh, we want instant gratification. I, as a reporter, yeah, yeah, I, as a reporter, want want to know everything about everything right away. And I I know sometimes I probably sound too impatient, but I'm I'm also. No, I'm like you. I want information and, uh, you know, I'd like it now, but, uh, you know, here it is a week after the incident. And, and, uh, you know, the public is still waiting to hear something. Yeah, and the public you know. will. I mean, sometimes they have to do um, lab tests and, right. you know, send, right. could be blood samples or other other right. things. You know, right. investigating you know. investigating a, a crash like that requires a lot of people working. They're all, they're all assembling pieces of right. a potential puzzle in case uh, there is a, a criminal prosecution. So right. uh, we will report to you as the information becomes available. Okay, and I want to say thank you for coming back from 9 to noon. I've listened to the talk for, for, for years and years, and I appreciate back to 9 to noon. Well, it's the way Marconi wanted it to be. That's right. Or we could go to 1 o'clock even, maybe. We may. We may. <laughs> Sometimes I think I should do a four-hour show so we could give the public 25% more content every day. Okay. I would appreciate it. And I thank you for the talk today. Thank you. It's 11.27. Actually, now that I think about it, not that math was really my specialty. Well, it was early early in my education then i got a calculator then math was no longer my specialty but uh i said 25 percent more content heck heck if we add an hour that would be 33 percent more content so there for you mathematicians in the audience good morning on a wednesday bob joseph serving you with information and conversation on News Radio WNBF, you may call 607-772-1290. You're listening to us, possibly online at WNBF.com, maybe using the WNBF app, or if you're listening on the radio, it's 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, WNBF. WNBF. So it starts recording? <laughs> I know. I'm fascinated by that as well. But again, you know, as they say, better living through technology. Not necessarily better radio experiences, but better living because the technology. 
we didn't have technology like that, uh, obviously, where would we be? Exactly. <laughs> I know where I everything. <laughs> you wouldn't look. I wouldn't be looking at the screen with that expression. 607-772-1290. As they say, radio is not the way it used to be. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Yeah, hey, Bob. It's uh, Gary from the west side. I, I've got a scratchy voice. Do you want me to put my mask on? Yeah, please. N95 okay. only. Thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, first of all, I'd like to congratulate that Brett Beatty for getting called up to the Mets. I'm looking forward to watch him play tonight in the majors and beat the uh, Braves. That was a, a good move, I think, by them. And it's uh, such a fun thing to watch them while they're down here before they go up. Uh, you know, it's amazing that we get the chance to see these people play. Well, I was uh, I was impressed. I I had the good the good fortune to see Brett Beatty play in Binghamton, and then last Saturday night I saw him play for the Syracuse Mets. So that was great. I had a who who knew that he would be playing for the New York Mets so soon? But I'm very happy for him. Yeah, and I was looking at one of your articles that you had on there about uh, the Rod Serling statue. And uh, my eyesight isn't that good anymore, Bob, but does that look like Rod Serling at all? Or Well, I did, a, I, I did a double take, too. I, I don't know. Didn't... What are we going to be like? You know, Binghamton's going to be the one, the, the city where statues don't look like people. You're going to have Rod Serling. <laughs> well, mate, I don't know. Martin but... Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. statue doesn't look like Martin Luther King Jr. Well, I think it sort of does. Okay. Right. I, I hadn't heard that my before. Like that. Well, my eyes really? my eyes are worse than your eyes, but it's like we're having a, a visual acuity competition here on the radio. But um, let me take a look at that that uh, photo or the image that was included in the story because wait, hold on, let me because Donald Lapardo put out a news release about the state grant and. I glanced at the two images that were sent. Of course, now using space-age technology with the slowest computers on the planet. Um, or is it the slowest Internet on the planet? I'm not really sure. Hold on. Let me uh, see if I can find... I it looks more like Rich David than uh, Rod Sterling. <laughs> that's just my opinion. Well, maybe that's why it's going to get built. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah. They, the, the pretext is... Is that it's Rod Serling, and then after the thing is unveiled, um, close-eyed, close-eyed residents noticed it had a the image certainly looked like Binghamton's previous mayor more more than the highly acclaimed author and TV and movie producer. Um, wouldn't that be funny? That'd be a national story. I'd get Binghamton on the maps. Um, yeah. Hold on a second. So. Here's the news release with pictures. It's, uh, we'll just I say mean, maybe. You could say yes, but. Well, okay, I'm looking at two images right now. Yeah, you're you waving know, your hand back and forth, right? Like, I'm not sure. You know, you know how it'll look more like Rod Serling is if I remove my contact lenses. And if you put a cigarette in his hand. Or maybe if I smoke one of those wacky weeds. 
It's and New York uh, State says about about uh, if you work in New York State that you don't have to worry about smoking marijuana. Uh, I think that's a fallacy. I mean, if you try track the trailer, you have to worry about smoking marijuana. Wait, did the did the state say it's okay for state employees to be smoking marijuana? No, it says that if you're an I thought I saw that on your website where it said that. Uh, uh, I don't know. I didn't write the story. It doesn't. It doesn't sound right to me. But uh, if yeah, I was just reading about it. Really? Well, if if it was on WNBF dot com, it must be true. I guess, yeah, so but I, I didn't see state that you shouldn't as long <laughs> as you're not doing it on duty. Well. Right, if you're working, obviously. I mean, come on, that's common sense. Well, sure. I guess. Right. I guess I better. But if you if you have a CDL, you you cannot do any drugs. Well, right. And there's also the other thing too that is going to be open to uh, a lot of interpretation and potential controversy. What if you're a police officer or a firefighter? They had this NYPD at one point several weeks ago put out a notice that they would no longer test their on-duty cops for, apparently, for THC or whatever they test for, for marijuana use. And then that uh, information, after there was uh, a bit of an outcry, that policy was reversed. But for a time, they they were saying, effectively, it was, well, we won't test for it anymore. So everybody figured, oh, that means NYPD cops can be smoking marijuana as long as they're off duty and personally and again some people would say well bob why why do you think it's okay for talk show hosts to be smoking marijuana off duty but not NYPD cops and i i would submit to you first of all radio hosts shouldn't be smoking marijuana off duty either but i submit the danger to the public could be a lot more if an NYPD cop or a firefighter was smoking so I don't know, but we'll see what happens. I don't know. You know, if if the mayor came on the program, I would ask him what Binghamton's policy will be with respect to its employees, especially in the emergency services for police and firefighters, what Binghamton's official policy would be. So if the mayor or the police chief came on, that would be one question I could ask them. But obviously that won't happen. Yeah, I, I, I still don't understand that whole thing and that they can just get away with it like they do. But uh, No, they, the they don't have to be thing. responsive. I mean, it's also not as though either one of them is doing much in terms of outreach to the alternative media, like the TV stations, like News Channel 34 or Fox 40 or 12 News or WSKG. When's the last time you saw an in-depth interview with the police chief on on TV or on public radio? Uh, I, I, the answer is never. I can't recall. Never. Can't recall. Ever. Yeah. And remember, at one point... And everybody's but, tried, correct? I don't know. I don't... Hey, oh, maybe okay. nobody's tried. I have no idea. I I can't speak for other journalists. I would assume that they would like to do an in-depth interview with the police chief on live TV or on public radio. Can I ask you a question radio. about a case that is still unsolved in Binghamton, the Eliza Spencer case? Let's say you were the uh, head of the newsroom in Binghamton. Binghamton had a big newsroom, okay? And it had an investigative reporter, okay? 
What, where would you focus if you were the boss and you told the investigative reporter to go out and investigate this case? Where would you focus on? Would you focus on the dad? I would focus on everybody. Every, literally, everybody. Everybody. I wouldn't focus on one person. I would, okay. and, and I, I would not have, say, if, if I had the resources in a news department, whether it was here at the radio station or a TV station or wherever, or the newspaper, if we had the resources to put one or two reporters working on the case full-time, I would say start without any preconceived notions. Uh, that's a good start. Yes. That's a very good start. Start from scratch. Begin with the police chief's news conference that was held Friday afternoon. I believe it was about 18 hours after Eliza Spencer was killed. So start with that. So the, the police chief, I think, spoke for a bit over 20 minutes. So begin with that. You know, uh, pay attention to everything that the chief said and that the mayor said, and then go from there. And, and again, no preconceived notions as far as um, who may have been responsible or e- even, I mean, start with such a, um, a blank slate, even consider that no real crime or there was no criminal intent. Include the possibility that it was an errant shot, that... Again, everything has to be, and I believe, this is my personal belief, Don't uh, I don't have uh, any official inside information, I have some unofficial information, I believe that the police have treated it that way. I mean, you know, after nearly four months, they're still putting pieces together and still trying to follow leads. I guess, to the best of my knowledge, I think the leads have been... Uh, relatively few, but they haven't given up. The police, what what my belief is for the police investigators in Binghamton, as well as other local agencies that might be uh, ultimately assisting them with elements of the case, they will not and will never give up on this case. But having said that, you know, with each successive day that goes on, it, it does make you wonder whether anybody might be brought to justice. And again... Well, part I, I, of the problem, Bob, is that people, they just clam up. People that know don't say anything. There's people that know what happened. And, you know, it, we've become a society where we just don't want to, I don't know, like snitching, as they call it. You know, that's like the worst thing you can do in certain Well, ways. like that one guy apparently wrote on the pavement in that uh case involving the the shooting of the state trooper last year snitches get stitches i mean there there is i think that that many people do have a fear that if they contact the investigators even though the investigators will say uh you can do so anonymously and will protect your identity well you know what maybe some people have doubts about that Maybe maybe some people don't believe that the police can actually protect their identity, that someone somehow is going to find out that they said something to the investigators, and that person may, may uh, take some action that, that would not be good. So, That's a good point. Yeah. And again, yeah. you know, but this even gets back to a, a bigger case then about police department transparency. 
if you have a police department that does not appear to be transparent and a police chief who will not do in-depth interviews. I mean, some police chiefs, look at look at New York City, the police commissioner, as well as deputy commissioners and chief of department, they're available almost any time that there's a high-profile crime in there. Sheriff Harder. Sheriff Harder is accessible. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Endicott police chief, Patrick Gary, the Johnson City police chief, Brett Dodge, they're accessible. Yeah. Yep. But notice notice the law enforcement officers and the people who head the agencies who aren't accessible when there's a high-profile case. And I have to say, again, this is maybe listeners will call in if they disagree, but I believe that if if you are not out there and visible in the community, even in the good times and the bad times, I think that ultimately affects perception of, of the department. Not necessarily perception of the rank and file, the uh, people in uniform as well as the investigators, but they may have questions about the way the department's operating. Did the mayor say that he was going to put policemen on the beat, like the walking beat? I thought he said that earlier. I haven't seen any cops walking around the streets. Well, I'm in downtown Binghamton um, probably at least five days a week. I don't believe I've seen uh, a walking post or or the bike patrols this summer. Maybe I've just missed them, but in past summers... I did see the bike guy. Okay. uh, All right. I just haven't. Clinton Street once. Yeah. I I personally haven't seen, because I believe in in previous summers, that there were uh, two... Binghamton police officers who were on regular bike patrol downtown and elsewhere, uh, including West Side and First Ward. I just haven't seen them this summer. It doesn't mean that they're not on the job. And I also, in recent months, haven't seen any walking posts out on Court Street or downtown, but maybe I'm just out at the wrong times. You know, Bob, I was down on vacation, and I had the news on in the background, and the Baltimore News was on. And this story came on where a 15-year-old girl was shot to death on her front porch. And they know who the shooter was, who the murderer was, and they could not arrest them. And the reason is, is because the person was nine years old that shot him. And the district attorney in Baltimore doesn't put, I mean, this kid isn't even in detention. Like, they didn't arrest him. They didn't do anything. He's free on the street. And the family of the person who got shot is outraged, as I would be, too. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's a, I mean, you could look it up. 15-year-old shot in Baltimore, and I would right. be, like, shocked that this is really going on huh? in, in our country. Yes, it goes it goes on, but the thing is, look, in Binghamton right now, okay, not, maybe not literally right now at 11:46, but in Binghamton today, there's going to be a 12-year-old kid. I don't know his name or her name, but a 12-year-old kid who has access to a gun or almost as bad, a very realistic-looking gun, and it puts everyone at risk, even if it's just one of those uh, realistic-looking replica guns it puts the child at risk, puts police officers at risk, it puts everybody at risk, and we've just got 
we've got uh, apparently we don't have the political will to do something about it where young kids in America today, sometimes kids under 10, definitely have access to deadly weapons. You know, that's another yeah. thing. We we focus so much on the uh, havoc that's caused in mass shootings, as we should, but we also are neglecting the easy access that young people, very young people, whether they're 9 or 8, have to guns. And so we don't have the political will to really fight crime the way we need to. Gary, thanks for your call. Raise some interesting issues. As we continue our community conversation, I'm Bob Joseph. I always have a few questions. And uh, for officials who think they have a few answers and want to provide them to people in the Binghamton area, the number is 607-772-1290. The email address is bob at wnbf.com. We're here for you. Want to save a Eleven fifty-two at WNBF. Martin from Binghamton, you're on the air. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Yeah, I just saw this on Google, but I also saw it live last night on television. But um, it's um, did Russia shoot a missile, dude? This was on Deadliest Catch, and where they were fishing up by the Russian line, the fishing boat Wizard, and a Russian trawler had crossed over into United States waters and then was um, had caused him some problems, made him lose a pod, and was uh, wreaking some havoc in the water there. So he called up on another boat, the Time Bandit, to come up there to help him to keep this guy from coming around because he kept calling over to Russia and they weren't doing anything. And so then the Time Bandit does come up and they're hanging up there and they're put up their American flags and everything and they just shot up some fireworks, whatever like that. And then next thing you know, it's like they shot up, the Russians shot up something. And they certainly looked, if you look at it, it looked like a missile or whatever. They were freaking out, wondering if it was a missile or, or what it was, but they signed, they shot some kind of warning shot um, from their, from their ship. Um, this is uh this is a great show on deadliest cuts. This was a, a new version last night. So, um, you know, they were talking about everything that's going on with, uh, you know, how Russia pushes everybody and stuff. And this is uh, wasn't the first time they've had trouble with uh, the Russians up there in the top of the Bering Sea. All right. I'll have to uh, see if I can uh, grab grab uh, a recording of that to see what uh, what they presented. Yeah, they show it right on Google there. They show the – you can see the um, – rest of the uh, missile um, uh, coming, uh, going up in the air and leaving the stream and stuff. And uh, the time bandit was kind of freaking out a little bit. This wife, you know, is it coming towards us or what the hell is it doing, you know? But um, Yeah, okay. Well, now now I see the thing know. on online, so I'll take a, a look at it. It's, uh, it says it was intense, so I'll... I'll uh, view it when I have a chance. Thank you so much, Martin, for bringing that to my attention. It's 11.54 at WNBF. I want to extend my condolences to the family of Phil Jackson. I believe in the past I 
met Mr. Jackson. I, I know I spoke with him, at least on the phone. I think I met him uh, at, at some point um, in time, going back over the years, and he contributed a lot to this area. Phil Jackson died on August 26th. I don't believe I knew this about Phil Jackson. According to the obituary, his broadcasting career began at WNBF-TV, 50 Front Street, advancing from producer-director to program director. Then in 1968, he joined WSKG to become the station manager. He uh, was instrumental in keeping WSKG afloat in its early days. Uh, He also was inducted into the Southern Tier Broadcasters Association Hall of Fame in the Bundy Museum on Main Street in Binghamton, and uh, he contributed a lot in other ways to our community. So, Phil Jackson, he will be missed, and I extend my condolences to his family and friends. It's 11.55. This is WNBF. Some person... Bob Joseph, proudly stating mission accomplished. Of course, the mission continues tomorrow morning right here on News Radio WNBF. Enjoy the afternoon, but be sure to be back here tomorrow for another exciting adventure on News Radio WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com.